0: Hey, friends, and welcome to another edition of the Happy Art Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie. Happy Friday, if you're listening to this when it comes out on October 15th. We are halfway through the month of October, and that feels really good. It is finally, every once in a while, starting to feel a tad bit like fall here in Austin, Texas, and that makes this girl really happy. You know, speaking of really happy, we have had some phenomenal episodes recently. If you have missed any of them, I really encourage you to go back and listen. In fact, this Wednesday, John Mark Cromwell on the show phenomenal episode that you don't want to miss last Friday we had Amy Grant on the show that you want to listen to we've had Dr Kurt Thompson Sky Jatani Jackie Hill Perry Clarissa Mall you guys it's been a really good season of great encouraging podcasts here on the happy Hour and today is no different before I tell you who our guest is today I want to remind you of something I don't know if you know this but we have videos up on YouTube in fact if you go to slash YouTube, you can see the videos that we have there. We created a whole show, the Jamie Ivy show, that aired this year, earlier in the year. We have episodes over there dealing with addiction, abortion, adoption, finding joy in the midst of Hurricane Katrina. One of our guests endured that as a child. I talk with the woman and ask, can women have it all? Motherhood, careers? We talk about women's health and disordered eating. We have so much great stuff over there. Plus, we take snippets from most of our episodes and have things over there for you to watch. We have something with Mike Todd and Dustin Nickerson, and Lisa Whittle, Matt Krieg, and Hosanna Wong, Rebecca McLaughlin, they're all over there. Go to jamieivy.com slash YouTube to find all of those videos. All right, guys, today's show is one that I know that you're going to love. It's with my friend Jamin Goggin. And Jamin and I talk in the beginning of the show about how we met a couple of years ago on a trip to Italy. I know it sounds so fancy and it was so much fun. I was recently listening to him on a conversation with another podcast that I love, and I thought this is going to be a great conversation for us to have as well. Jamin and his co-author. There, Kyle, re-released a book this year. Their book is called The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb, searching for Jesus's path of power in a church that has abandoned it. And we talk in this conversation about why they re-released it. And it's important conversation for us to have. I want to say up front here that we talk about some church hurt and we talk about some leaders in the church failing. And this conversation can oftentimes feel hopeless and It can feel like a dread, and it can feel like, is anyone doing this right? And I want to tell you that the conversation Jamin and I have today is full of hope, and there is hope in this. We talk about how do we take someone's ministry where they have had failures, sometimes publicly, sometimes not coming out until after they've died, but yet we also see all the good things that God used them to do, and we talk about how do we hold that. Jamin also talks honestly about how we as leaders can be vulnerable about our own struggles, that this is not just a conversation about them, but this is a conversation about what do we all do in our own personal lives to fight this desire to be worshipped and to fight this desire for power. This is a really insightful and beautiful conversation. So sit back, relax. Here's my conversation with my friend, Jamin. Jamin, welcome to the happy hour.
1: Great to be with you.
0: You know, this is not the first time we've had a happy hour together, I must say. This is true. We had a legit Italian happy hour.
1: Yeah, I think a legit Italian happy hour watching the sunset go down in Tuscany. I mean, I'm not going to say that this isn't an exciting happy hour. It is, but that one probably kind of wins out.
0: 100% wins out. Like I'm in my office, like just we're on Zoom. No one even knows if people. we could have loungewear on underneath our shirts here. And there we did. That's where I met you is we went on a trip to Italy together. Would this have been in, let's do our math here, 2018? I think
1: so. You know how it is trying to calculate time in the age of COVID and the pandemic. It's like... I know. Sometimes it feels like it goes too fast. Sometimes it feels like it goes too slow. But either way, I have a hard time keeping track of what happened when. But I think that's right.
0: I think that's right. Well, that's where we met. And since then, you and my husband, Aaron, have done a couple of things together. And he's brought you into our church to talk to his team. And it's just been a really great relationship. And so it's fun to have you here. But tell everyone what you do when you're not in Italy watching Sunsets, drinking the best wine ever invented.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I am a pastor, a church in San Marcos, California, which is North San Diego County, for those that aren't familiar with kind of SoCal Mm -hmm. uh, geography, and I've been here now for about six years as a pastor, but beyond that, I've been a pastor for, boy, 17 years now, different churches prior, and just as important, if not more important, uh, you know, I'm a father of four wonderful kids, my wife, Kristen and I homeschool our children and so try to be an active part of that. She definitely takes the lead and yeah. it's a responsible party in the educational portion of us that reality. But I'm a grateful participant, get to read books with my kids and talk about them and those kinds of things. So,
0: what are you reading with your kids right now?
1: Oh man, well, you know, we have five, nine, 13, and 14, so this sp- it, it spans quite a bit, but my daughter recently read to kill a mockingbird i think is wanting to read it again and discuss in dialogue which i love yes and then of course my 9 year old is just now hitting that curve of what are these harry potter books that my older brother and sister have been talking about uh-huh. for a while? he doesn't talk about them so there's a you know school books slash just i love it great, great reading but you know me i love books love to talk to my kids about books so if that passes as participating in homeschool in some way sounds good to me sign me up
0: I think that's the best. It's funny because I did not love to read when I was growing up and I didn't love to read in high school. And I only developed this love of reading really when I was about like 30. And the reason I started reading, this is so funny, is I would like take my kids to the park and I probably should have been playing with them, but I've never been like the like get on the swing, play mom. I don't know. Maybe that makes me a bad mom. I don't think it does. I just think it makes me different, but I would bring a book with me and I, they would play with their friends and I would read a book. And so I developed this love for reading at an older age. And there's, funny because a couple of years ago, I read some of the books that we were supposed to read in high school. And I'm like, these are lovely. What was I missing out on? Which I think one of them was To Kill a Mockingbird. I pretty much followed
1: followed your movement. I I don't think I started enjoying reading until it probably was late college, even beginning of seminary for me. And so and then it was reading a lot of theological texts and whatnot because I was in seminary and leaning towards ministry. And so it really wasn't until my early 30s that I returned to some of these just great classics of literature and books that some teacher my freshman year had assigned to me that I kind of rolled my eyes at and, uh, and I went, man, these are really good books. <laughs> I know, I know. 14 and 15.
0: <laughs> I took my son to one of my sons to dinner last night and I had this crazy dream of owning a bookstore. It's I've had it for a long time bookstores are like a dying breed and yet I want to own one it's so crazy but I was talking to him last night I was like Deacon what could I do to like make teenagers want to come into this bookstore I want to have one day and he literally was like I don't know put arcade games in there and I was like okay not the feel I was going for but I hear you okay so I think and he did say he was like do you really want your target audience to be teenagers I was like not at all you're right okay moving on (laughs) Moving on. I want to talk to you today about a book that you actually just re-released. And I want to hear about that re-release. In fact, I was listening to you and your co-author on the Holy Post talk about it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Jamin's on there that I went to Italy with. This is so great. And I and I really like leaned in and listened to you guys chat about this. And in fact, I think I even referenced that episode when I was interviewing somebody else after that because it was really like, it was very interesting to me on so many levels. And so you have your book, The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb, searching for Jesus' path of power in a church that has abandoned it. You and your co-author Kyle originally released this in 2017, 2018, and you re-released it this year. So I want to hear what prompted a re-release of a book that had only been out a couple of years.
1: Yeah, yeah, great question. You know, when we first published the book, it really came out of, I don't know, like a five-year journey. We Kyle and I both, you know, we entered into seminary together We entered in kind of ministry life together vocationally. He a little more academic, me, of course, pastoral. But both of us in those kind of early years, the 20 to 30-year-old years of our life, so much of that really was about kind of pursuing greatness. Mm. And so much of that was driven by grandiosity, right? Going to go do the right things, study the right things, learn the right things, develop the right skills, hone my skill set, network in the right circles, connect to the right pastors the right churches right whatever it might be and and what happened in colonized life was uh, really around the same time we both kind of ran into a brick wall in ministry of kind of accomplishment mm-hmm. and you know he was struggling to kind of find a job teaching now with a phd in hand and multiple masters degrees and he couldn't get a job mm-hmm. i had lost my job in ministry my first job in ministry and for a season after that had been unemployed. And so for both of us, there was this kind of wrestling with, well, what do we do when this doesn't work? Mm-hmm. Right, We're on this kind of trajectory, this path, and we thought we were doing all the right things, but here we, we find ourselves kind of stuck in a place of failure and disappointment. And really what that, those seasons opened up to both of us was, well, maybe this kind of quest to be great and this grandiosity that's driving so much of our hearts and ministry, maybe this actually isn't what Christ has called us to. And of course, that sounds like an obvious, of course it's not, right? But we started... Right reading and paying attention to what Jesus says, things like the first will be last and the last will be first, or do not seek the seats of honor, right? If you try to save your life, you'll lose it. And all of a sudden we found ourselves going, I'm not sure we really know what that means. Wow! And I'm not sure we've ever really taken Jesus seriously. So for us, that five-year journey initially of writing the book was really a journey of trying to seek out if this kind of quest for power we've been on in ministry has maybe been opposed to, or even antithetical to Jesus' way of power what does that way of power really look like? And for us, what seemed like a wise decision at the time was to kind of seek out sages in the faith, sages that embodied kind of Jesus's way of power. And so the first book was written as somewhat of kind of a, an account of a pilgrimage we went on. We went and we spent time with folks like J.I. Packer, Dallas Willard, Marva Don, uh, John Perkins, James Houston. And one of those figures we went and sought out was a man named Jean Vanier. And we flew all the way to France to meet with him, spend time with him. An interesting figure kind of lived in obscurity. I and mean, when we went to visit him in France, we, we literally had to ask for directions in a small town as to where to go to find him. And no one we came across even knew who we were talking about. Uh, right? Mm-hmm. And yet he was this man who had found what was called the L'Arche communities, which were communities all around the world that cared for those with mental and physical disabilities. For those that haven't heard of Vanier before, he was Henry Nouwen's mentor,
0: Okay. I had never heard of him until yeah. I actually heard you talk about this yeah. re-release. And so that was new to me.
1: And so he had founded these communities kind of all around the world. It started with him welcoming in a couple of men with disabilities into his home and his early adult years and ministering, but also being ministered to, right? In that context. And it burgeoned into this kind of worldwide ministry and mm-hmm. communities that did incredible work caring for folks with disabilities. And so the reason why we sought him out was at the time was obvious, right? Here's someone who really embodies Jesus's way of power and ministry and embracing the marginalized and the broken, uh, serving often in anonymity and in hiddenness. And, but what happened was, goodness, about a year and a half ago or so now, Vanier passed away. And right after his passing away, it came out that he had abused women under his spiritual care. And this news broke The night after Kyle and I had finished hosting our first kind of conference retreat on our book. Mm. So we had this incredible couple days where we had invited pastors and ministry leaders to kind of explore. Jesus' way of power of ministry to kind of confess their own temptations of power of ministry, just as we had done in our own journey. And we spoke, um, Ann Voskamp joined us as a speaker, Scott Saul joined us as a speaker. It's just rich time, you know, and we were riding high, enjoying all that God had done and how he'd been at work. And that night, I remember getting ready for bed and look at my phone, checked a few messages, and I noticed something pop up on social media and it was the news, Mm. abuse. And I mean, I was, Jamie, I was just devastated. Yeah. I mean, devastated. And I called Kyle right away and we talked about it uh, late into the night. And pretty quickly, the next day as we kind of reconvened, our emotions running high. yeah Hurt and pain and betrayal, sense of betrayal. But what became really quickly clear to us was we were going to have to do something about this now, right? Here's mm-hmm. someone we have interviewed in a book that we're putting forward as a model for the way of Jesus kind of power. Mm -hmm. And yet he's been found to be a serial abuser. Mm -hmm. And so I can share more with you about kind of what that journey has meant for us and how we responded to it. But that was the really the impetus for the the re-release was, you know, talking to our publisher and saying, well, we want to do what's honorable and right for the victims here. And not giving him a platform and Mm -hmm. a voice seems to us like the right way to honor the victims, as well as to honor the integrity of the book and the rest of these folks that we had interviewed. What does it mean? Yeah.
0: Why do I get put on a stage or in a book next to that?
1: Yes. What does it mean to kind of keep him alongside of Dallas Willard, or Eugene Peterson or Marva Don, folks that have embodied Jesus' way of power and faithfulness? And so for us, the decision to remove him from the book was really clear. But then, of course, the next step was how do we process this and what do we do? Yeah.
0: What year was that, that that happened?
1: Yeah. So again, the COVID time, like the conversation we were having earlier, right? But it was just about two years ago. Okay. Like two years ago. Yeah. A little less yeah. than two years ago when that news first came out.
0: You know, the thing that that news does, we have seen that happen a handful of times in the past couple of years with major figures. You I mean, we have Ravi Zacharias, that after he had passed as well, this, this news came out. And I'd like to hear from you as a pastor, what is your encouragement to us who are following Jesus faithfully and someone, I mean, you walk through this, this is not just like you pastoring. someone. This was like, you went to his house, you sought him out to sit at his feet and listen and say, teach me the way of the lamb, teach me how you follow Jesus so faithfully all these years and the emotions that you were feeling, you felt deceived. You felt lied to you might've felt embarrassed, all of these things. And yet in our churches, this is happening on major levels, like this guy, Ravi Zacharias, it's happening on smaller levels as well that the world at large might not know about, but people are still getting hurt. How do we process following leaders who let us down?
1: Yeah, that's no, a great question. And yeah, it's absolutely what we had to wrestle with on Yeh. I think Maybe first, just an important caveat up front here is, however I'm going to answer this question, what I'm not seeking to do is speak directly to abuse victims, right? There's a particular kind of wisdom in knowing what it means to care for and to resource well those who've been directly affected by abuse, like Vanier's abuse. And so... I'm going to answer your question really more from the standpoint, what do we do for those of us that maybe are more indirectly affected, not so much directly? Right.
0: Got it. -hmm. I've read his books or I've listened to her at conferences. We're not the victim of the abuse. We are following a leader who has let us down.
1: Yeah. And I think um, that would require its own own conversation. And that would
0: require people who have a lot more degrees behind their names than you or I. Right
1: kinds of degrees. Yes, 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 yes training and expertise. But I think maybe just to narrate some of my own experience, you know, what I noticed early on in response to the revelation of Vanier's abuse was a real temptation in my own heart to kind of mull it over and obsess about the kind of information and content, right? And so it was reading the next article, finding out more details, seeing what people are really saying on Twitter, what's the next thing, right? And then kind of trying to kind of do the kind of... A mental maze in my own mind of making sense of it. How do I get from point A to point B? And how do I make sense of this, what happened here? And I signal this as a temptation because what I noticed is I wasn't moving with kind of my emotions into prayer so much Mm. as problem solving and information gathering, right? And so I think one of the temptations, especially in kind of our social media age, where we are so saturated with like, I mean, you can just keep hitting refresh on Twitter and find someone new tweeting about, what happened to Ravi Zacharias or John Bonnier or anybody, or what's happening with Mars Hill, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the temptation in that is actually to not take our pain, our hurt, our embarrassment, our anger, our sadness to the Lord in prayer, mm-hmm. right? And so I think one of the things that really settled in for me was, oh, I need to be intentional about drawing you to the Lord here. And that for me, and I think this is, this is quite helpful guidance for others, really kind of took the form of a couple times of prayer. One was lament. Mm. Right? This is kind of a form of prayer that I think many in evangelical church cultures are a little out of practice in, right? We have a lament long overdue mm-hmm. in our heart. Right? This kind of crying out to God, pleading with God, expressing disappointment with God, right? The Psalms, of course, have are littered with prayers of lament. In fact, of all the kinds of prayers we find in the Psalms, lament are the largest group, right? These mm-hmm. kind of how long O Lord will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? Right. Yeah. These prayers that maybe sometimes when we flip through the pages of the Bible, we come across these in the Psalms, we're like, ooh, I don't know. I <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yet what we see in scripture is this is right speech with God. This is God is saying, This is how you talk to me. And I think these are occasions in our life where we need to take that anger, that frustration, that disappointment to God and not feel the need to kind of organize our feelings, right? Or kind of clean them yeah. up to make Mm -hmm. more presentable to God, but just going to show up in the truth of our hearts. Like, Lord, this is devastating. And I want to be with you in that. The second form of prayer that I I found really important was imprecation, right? Like, and again, these are some of those Psalms that maybe make us feel uncomfortable with the kind of crying out for God to exact judgment and actually to exact justice on wrongdoers, right? Mm -hmm. And we can read some of those Psalms and go, oh my goodness, I don't know. But I think these are moments in our life where we need to actually cry out for God to do something. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not okay with this. And this person has got away with something and it's hurtful and it's wrong. And God, I want you to bring judgment. (laughs) I want you to bring justice, right? And so these kind of deep cries of our heart, these places of pain, anguish, hurt, anger, the place to bring that first and foremost is to God in prayer. Mm -hmm. And I think, Lastly, to not forget the real direct victims like we just talked about, right? Because one of the other challenges, one of the temptations least I faced in this was to kind of so collapse into my own experience of it mm-hmm. that I actually can kind of forget the primary victims a bit. Right. And really forget to kind of continue to hold them in prayer. And again, I think in our social media age, it's it can be easy to kind of fire off a quick tweet of solidarity. Mm-hmm. Like I stand with them. And it's a lot a lot more challenging to really continue to hold that person's experience in our heart yeah. and bring them before the lament on their behalf or mm. Kate on their behalf. Right. And this is what I would call pastorally, like kind of having hospitality of heart. Like I want to keep holding that person and their experience in my heart in a sustained way. And Lord, these victims, I can't imagine the pain, the hurt, the lifetime worth of sorrow mm an effect and brokenness in their life, as hard as that is to maybe maintain contact with that, I want to hold them in my heart and really mm. care. So there's a lot more I could say, right? Yeah. About I think other steps of proper response. Of course, we're called to speak the truth in love. We're called to name evil when we see evil. We're called to be discerning of our leaders. And when we see this in a leader, perhaps we've trusted, there is an invitation for us to ask, how might I be more discerning? Yeah. But I think the first step, is this call to prayer, to bring our own experience and our emotions before God and to hold the victims before God in prayer. Maybe the last piece I'll just share here, Jamie, is is that one of the other primary temptations I think I faced was to kind of resolve the tension I experienced with Vanier by collapsing his life and his story either to kind of only the good or only the bad, Mm. right? And I think this is a real challenge with figures we have trusted is, what do I do with the fact that Vanier's meaningful ministry and you could find testimony after testimony after testimony of people who have been positively actually impacted by, right. similar to Ravi Zacharias, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Are there true things that were said in his books? Are there, were there moments at conferences when he spoke and it actually, someone came to Christ? Right, because right, they him, yeah. Right? And the real temptation for us here is to kind of, when we see a leader like that, kind of exposed for sin, mm. kind of extinguish or expunge any good that they did. And I think we have to be wise and discerning and be able to hold the tension of the reality of sin, even in our own yeah. lives and yep. certainly in others' lives, which is goodness, There's radical sin here, but also God did something in this person's life. And I think the temptation to kind of resolve that by collapsing it to one side or the other is a way of kind of tidying up or cleaning up the experience to make it feel more comfortable for me, Yeah. but often actually isn't really true of reality. And so I think God's invitation for us is to to hold the good and the bad together, to name evil for evil, but also to say, well, but the Lord did this into this person's life. And that's still true right reject that as true.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I appreciate that you and Kyle have done writing this book and even the re-release and the conversations I've heard you guys have about it is you haven't shied away from the fact of saying, Hey, we want to be vulnerable with our own struggles here. Like our own desires for greatness, our own desire for power, our own desire to want all that the world has to offer. And I was reading this morning in Acts 14, when Paul and Barnabas go, I can't remember where they go. starts with an L they go into this Lyceia See, I don't even go to seminary. They go here and doing I'm doing great. <laughs> and there is a man who couldn't walk and Paul gave him the ability to walk again. And everyone starts praising them. They call them Zeus and another God. I can't remember and everything. Yeah. And they're cheering them on. And they're like saying, You guys are amazing. We love you. You're the gods that have done this. And all of a sudden Paul and Barnabas are like, oh no, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up, hold tight. And they, you know, they tear off their clothes and they're like saying, No, it is only God who does these things. And I read a commentary on it and they actually, it made me remember when I was going to talk to you about this. It says, Ministers today must take note of the missionary's intense deflection of glory. So I'm about Paul and Barnabas. Herod would have enjoyed such praise but faithful Christians understand that only God is to be worshiped. I thought about that when I knew I was going to talk to you. And I thought that is the tension that people in, I want to say the public eye on social media, even standing at your local church, when everyone knows that you're the pastor, that is the tension of where does it go from worshiping God to worshiping a person And then why does a heart yearn and love that so much? I mean, so like, I guess my question for you is like, what do you do in your own personal life to fight what the flesh desires so much and that is to be worshipped?
1: Yeah, that's well said, Jamie. I think, you know, one of the challenges I think we face as a lot of these stories surface of power gone awry, toxic power, abusive power in the church, and there have been many. Right, we've only named a few here, but the last few years, it just feels like stories have been legion. Yes, <laughs> and I think there's a couple temptations there. One is to kind of eschew all forms of power as bad, like well, just power is bad, and we see that show up in our culture, right? Where kind of, well, just power is just a bad thing, but that's actually not. What we see in the New Testament, right? God calls us actually to a certain form of power. And so I, I don't think that's the answer. The Christian answer mm-hmm. is just kind of all authority or all power is bad. Yeah. But another temptation, and this is kind of beginning, I think, to lean into answer your question, is to kind of view the problem as just out there. Right. Well, the problem is in those kinds of churches, is in those kinds of leaders. And the way it tends to show up in particular in kind of the social media town square of conversation as well. It's the celebrity pastors. It's the mega churches. It's the well, I can just tell you from personal experience, that's not true.
0: Well, I didn't <laughs> even know who he was.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, when I say personal experience, I mean, in my own life, like when I was a youth pastor, and this is when I first started ministry and I'm 23, 24 years old, and I was doing Bible studies and homes with teenagers and teaching youth group on Sunday morning. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that one can pursue worldly glory and and use ministry as a personal platform for self-aggrandizement when you have 40 high schoolers in a house, mm-hmm. just as much as when you have 4,000 people in an auditorium. That's <laughs> good, Jamin. I know you can. I've yeah. done it. Mm-hmm. And so now, does it mean that the kind of intensity of temptation may not be greater mm-hmm. with more platform, more exposure, fine, we can have a conversation about that, right? But I think what I'm just trying to signal is...
0: You're trying to say you can't always say it's them. Yeah. Those type of people.
1: And most importantly, I think what I'm trying to signal is not only is it not just the big or the most well-known. But I think really Jesus' invitation to us is not to kind of view the problem as out there, but first view the problem as in here, right? It's Jesus saying, look, first take the log out of your Mm -hmm. own. And so for Kyle and I, like the journey of the book, as I showed you earlier, it was born out of our own recognition. that We've chosen a way of power here that I think is opposed to the way of Jesus. I've been seeking Mm -hmm. this honor and he tells me not to. I've been trying to be first. He told me to be last. He tells me if I try to save my life, I'll lose it. But I kind of think I'm going to Save it. He told me that apart from him, I can do nothing, but it sure seems like I'm doing a lot, you know? And so I think Jesus' invitation to us is to spend, I think, less time concerning ourselves with finding the next famous person who's going to fall and exposing them for it. But to really search our own hearts and say, Lord, to what degree and in what ways am I prone? to kind of worldly power. And maybe to help make a distinction here about what I mean when I use the worldly power and I talk about God's power, kingdom power, what are the differences? Well, James 3, I think, is a really helpful passage for us here. In James 3, we hear that James says there's a way from above and a way from below, right? And he's kind of picking up on wisdom tradition in the Bible. So there's kind of, you know, the way of folly and the way of wisdom, mm-hmm. right? In the book of Revelations, the way of the dragon, the way of the lamb, right? There's two ways. And, and James says the way from below, which is kind of the way of folly or the way, of, this is identified by what he calls selfish ambition and jealousy. Well, I mean, how prevalent is selfish ambition and jealousy in the church, right? Rampant. Rapids and how much has that shown up in my own life Yeah. yeah you know and so and then james goes on to say this way of selfish ambition and jealousy is earthly unspiritual and demonic now in the church we've kind of captured that phrase and we've coined it into this phrase it's the world the flesh and the devil right it's the way of the world the flesh and the devil well i don't know about you but my propensity has not been to think about selfish ambition and jealousy as demonic Right. Mm. Or as the way of the devil. But this is how James narrates it. Right. It's Jesus talking to Peter as they're headed to the cross. And Peter says, no, 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 Jesus, not that way of power, not power and weakness, not dying. Let's go and conquer everybody. Let's go and let everybody know how powerful you really are. And Jesus says to him, you don't have God's interest in mind. You have man's. And then he says, get behind me, Satan. Right. I don't get the sense that Jesus is just kind of like name calling there. Mm. You know, what he's doing is he's identifying for Peter this way of power you have in mind that's opposed to the way of the cross. This is the way of the devil, right? Mm. And so, what we have to reckon with is when we choose a way of selfish ambition, jealousy, self glorification, envy, pride this isn't just kind of like an unfortunate leadership style. It's actually the way of the devil and it opposes the way of Jesus. And so the way we narrate it in the book is this way of power, the way of power that's opposed to the way of Jesus is power and strength for the sake of control. That's how it shows up in our life. It's kind of power anchored in myself, my own talents, my own abilities, what I can do. And it's for the sake of more power, for the sake of control. Jesus' way of power, the way of the cross, the way of the kingdom, is power and weakness for the sake of love. It's power... That acknowledges, I need God alone to be my strength. And it's power that is pointed towards the end of love, right? Self-giving, sacrificial love, not domination, winning, and control. Mm. So I think as we think about those categories, Jesus' invitation for us is consider your own life, right? Consider the ways that you, like Peter, might be prone towards the wrong way of power.
0: That was gonna be my next question. Like this book is not just for church leaders, for all of us, like, I mean, all to follow the way of the lamb. And so when you go through all that, and my thought is like, okay, so I figure out the myself, which is probably often desiring that, then what? You were gonna say confession. And I wanna know like, then what do we do? How do we lead ourselves into saying, No, actually, I don't want that. I want to be the way of the lamb. I do not want the way of the dragon. What does that look like for all of us who are following Jesus? This is not just a church leader thing. This is for everyone. Exactly. So the problem is
1: not just out there. It turns out the problem's in here. What do you know? That's right. The fall, Adam and Eve. Oh yeah, pride. That's kind of the problem here. (laughs) And I don't want to choose that way. I want to choose the way of Jesus. And so I do think it begins with, again, with honest confession Mm -hmm. before And honest confession with one another about this, right? This is kind of ought to be the kind of meat and potatoes of of our life of prayer. Mm-hmm. is, Lord, the truth is I'm really prone towards wielding my own talents and yeah. abilities to kind of make life happen. Mm-hmm. And I want to meet you in that, Lord. Also, I think as we experience areas of weakness in our life, these become occasions for that conversation to happen. Like, I think we're, we've been so conditioned, particularly by our culture, to kind of view weakness as something to hide and cover, right? I mean, what do you do in a job interview? Well, when someone asks you about your weakness, did you actually just tell them a strength? Right? You're basically
0: well, like, I can't help it. I just always yeah. get places on time. It's a weakness <laughs> of mine, guys.
1: Say, I work too hard. I care <laughs> too much, right? <laughs>
0: exactly. What our
1: culture is nearing to us is like weakness. You just, you never want to expose it. You never want to let it out. Now, how that shows up in the church is we tend to talk about kind of serving in areas where you have talent and ability, right? Identifying your spiritual gift and activating it, mm-hmm. right? And now, okay. Is there a conversation we had about using For our sure. Of course, of course, of course. But the way the Apostle Paul wants to think about all this we've been talking about, for example, is actually like the norm in the Christian life is for us to actually minister out of our weakness, right? And God is actually calling us into our weakness so that we can know his power and come to depend upon him and bear witness that it's Mm -hmm. only by him that Mm -hmm. these things are happening. It's only for his glory that we do these things, right? And so, But I think what that looks like then is not only being honest with God and confessing well, I'm really tempted in these ways, Lord, I want to talk to But in those moments where we experience our weakness, not hiding and covering them, but using them as occasions for honest dialogue with Jesus. Like, oh Lord, I I don't feel really capable as I'm preparing the sermon. I'm noticing I feel a lot of anxiety, Mm -hmm. right? Or Lord, as I lean into taking this test I'm doing in school, Mm -hmm. I find that I'm just struggling to know this content. I want to meet you there. What does that mean? What does that tell me about who I am? And what does it mean to depend upon you? Lord, as i trying to parent my child and they're going wayward. And I feel like I've done everything I can. I've done all the right things. Sure. I've made some mistakes, but I've done a really good job here. And yet they're still making foolish choices. What I'm experiencing is my limitation, but the limits of my capacity to kind of control an outcome here. Mm. I want to meet you in that Lord, I need you. Right. So now all of life becomes an opportunity to actually lean into the truth of our weakness, pursue God's strength. Because truth is, we don't have to go hunting very hard for our weaknesses. It's we so we just good, right? day-to-day life. They show up like a lot.
0: Yeah, they <laughs> so, keep showing up. So much
1: of the time we're trying to kind of like, no, no, no. Let me cover over those with some more mm-hmm. talent, front and center my abilities. Let me try to overcome it with my own willpower. And I think the invitation of the Lord is, no, no, these are now occasions for you to learn what it means to abide in me and trust in me, mm-hmm. for you to really embrace your weakness actually and say, ah, apart from you, Lord, I can do nothing. So I think there's confessing our temptation. There's using weakness as an opportunity to meet God in those places. And that's a conversation with the Lord. But also I think, Jamie, this is where community, Christian community is incredibly important, right? Like we throw around the word word vulnerability so casually these days and I'm all for it. But really what it requires is being honest with people about our weaknesses, right? Mm -hmm. Really showing up in our frailty and our brokenness and knowing others in their weakness and being known by others in our weakness and learning in the church, the body of Christ, that this is actually the place from which we relate to one another. This is where we, we encourage one another, meet the Lord there. Key yeah. strength, right? We need to kind of normalize in the church things like confession, things like being honest about our failure and weakness, right? The church ought to be kind of the incubator of pursuing Christ's way of power.
0: It's so good. And I think that as you're saying that, I'm thinking like, I think also we have to be willing as the church to want that from leaders and community. To be not only accepting, like, okay, I'm going to accept you for who you are, but to know that that true growth and, you know, sanctification and how God's making us look more like Him is through that vulnerability. And so oftentimes, I think if we're honest, we don't want to think that our leaders have weaknesses. We want to think that the people we are following, surely they don't struggle with the things that I struggle with because we're following them and they're so wise and they tell us how to do things. And I think. For me personally, if I'm, and when I use the word following, I don't mean in like a social media type of way. I mean even like just a learning. Like, I want to learn. If I want to learn from Jamin, that's because I want to follow you because I see wisdom in you. I actually am encouraged to hear you say, here's where I'm struggling with wanting to choose my own power over my own weakness, who is made powerful because of Jesus. Mm -hmm. That brings me hope because I'm like, oh, me too. Like, okay. Like, Yes, I hear this as well. I hear this as well. Jamie, was there ever a conversation with you and Kyle about, Hey, let's just wash our hands of this and let it be. And hopefully people can figure out on their own that this all happened. Or did you feel 100% we have to do something with this chapter in this book?
1: Yeah, I think it felt very clear to us that the right thing to do to honor the victims was to remove Anya for sure. I think to your question, then maybe the next step of, is there more to be done other than that? I think for Kyle and I, it felt like the right step in f- kind of faithfulness to our message mm. to actually process it in the book. Like, Hey, we're not just kind of, kind of scrub this away, but we're going to be honest about this happened. I interviewed this person, because I think to the point you made earlier, this did show up for me. Like I felt a certain degree of embarrassment and shame about and i think one of the things that can show up my mind went back to our time with him at his house and i was trying to picture the room was there something i missed in the room i was trying to remember body language and forms of communication was there a tell and did i miss something right and i think we all do Which that this is what
0: everyone would do oh, if they had
1: The one sermon where this would have been obvious to me. Did I not hear from the one person I should have talked to at the church who said they had a bad counseling session? Mm -hmm. Did I miss the one thing this person was wrong about in their theology in some book a few years ago? And I just didn't pay attention, right? And I think the kind of embarrassment and the shame of it, there was a temptation in that to say, well, let's just kind of scrub them out, do the right thing there, but not really leaning into it. But I think what Kyle and I felt was, no, actually, if we enter into our own process here with the Lord, maybe we can really provide some encouragement and some wisdom to others who feel these very same things we Mm -hmm. do, aren't sure what to do about it. And I think, (sighs) because the truth is, you know, So often, maybe there are leaders who fall and we kind of look at their profile a bit and we go, boy, wow, there was some kind of bold faced narcissism there and how, okay. But you know, what's also true. And this was true with Vanier was he was gentle and kind and gracious and loving in our interaction with him. And there wasn't like a obvious thing I missed a moment where he said something that was just horrible and I just ignored it. And I think also the reason why we wanted to narrate the book was just to narrate the challenge of that, that it is really challenging and that this isn't something for us to be ashamed of or embarrassed Mm -hmm. of. Sure. Maybe there's an invitation for us to prayerfully consider with the Lord. Is there something I missed? I think that's a a worthy question. Yeah. But also to recognize like their sin is their sin.
0: Mm, That's good, Jamin.
1: And I think also to recognize Jesus kind of knew what he was talking about when he said hey, wolves will show up in sheep's clothing. I mean, Jesus is implying there, like, this is actually hard to identify, <laughs> Yeah. right? And they're going to look like a sheep and they're going to walk like a sheep and act like a sheep. And it can be really challenging to discern sometimes mm-hmm. what's really going on. Yeah. And so for us, I think narrating our own experience with that, narrating our own struggles, our own feelings, our own emotions, and trying to help name for people some effective ways of responding yeah. to the follow-up prayer, beginning to pay attention to our own hearts, how are we tempted Mm -hmm. with power, beginning to kind of cultivate some skills of discernment maybe and identifying wool, sheep's clothing. How might we do that with Mm -hmm. some discernment? One of the things we talk about in the chapter is paying attention to to speech. You know, scripture makes it clear out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I think one of the things that's shown up, for example, in the Marcel podcast, Mm -hmm. right, is, which I think is, Mike has done a wonderful job with. He's done a
0: great job with it, yeah.
1: Wonderful job with. But I think one of the things that shows up is all the ways that kind of harsh, coarse,
0: rude,
1: Mm -hmm. self-promoting kind of speech was kind of looked past as kind of a a minor flaw Mm -hmm. as opposed to seen as maybe a window into something deeper, right? And so, anyway, so part of what we're also just trying to narrate is not, you know, again, it's to say, hey, it doesn't mean you miss something. That's that person's sin. Mm -hmm. But also, hey, are there skills we can begin cultivating and developing in discernment? To begin to just pay attention. So good. To see and identify.
0: And just remind the listeners, you said this so beautifully earlier, but I want to remind them that we are speaking in a general sense and not from a victim sense as well. Like, you know, that is a whole nother conversation. You know, Jamin, one of the things that this leads me to when things like this happen is I am an Enneagram six. And so I'm motivated a lot by fear and I have to fight that really hard with scripture and prayer and really believing God. But I would imagine there's some people like me that stories like this come out and I just think, well, I'm just waiting for every other shoe to drop from every other leader I've ever followed. I'm just yeah. I'm just convinced that everyone has this closet that no one knows about. And I, that fear comes into that. It comes into lots of other areas of my life. Like Someone ends up cheating on their wife. And I'm like, well, I'm just waiting for the day that Aaron tells me that he's been cheating on me. And what Aaron has in that particular instance, he has communicated to me is that's so not fair for him because I'm putting something on him that he hasn't even done. And I think for me, when I hear your story and of this book and wanting to go back in, it causes me to have to lean into trusting God even more than I trust leaders Mm. because I want to trust leaders and I do trust the leaders in my life. And I have to fight this idea that everyone has a dark story that's going to come out after they die. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think other people could relate to that, that it causes me to lean into God more. There is this whole look in my own life and that kind of thing. But there also is a God, I want to trust you that you are good in what you're doing. I do want to trust you that you're holy. I don't want to make someone a failure before they have failed. And so that's this personal thing that I have to battle And I'm saying all that to say, I appreciate the way you guys have walked through. What does it feel like when this happens and how do we walk forward in this? Because I'm the person that needs the like. Okay, what do we do now? Because if he fell, everyone's doomed to fall. That's not healthy either.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's well said. I think, you know, there's these moments. And again, you know, we're not talking about direct victims, but those of us who are more indirectly affected. There's a, a teacher we trusted, an author we read, A pastor we look to, you know, for whatever reason, maybe we're someone younger in ministry, we looked up to them, kind of Mm -hmm. example where we like to go. Or maybe they're just somebody whose content has meant a lot to us in our Christian life. I think the kind of the devastation and the disappointment, I think it does open up a question of, yeah, Lord, to what degree? I think this is a good question just to bring to God in prayer. Like, To what degree and in what way have I perhaps hung hopes and expectations Mm -hmm. on this person that are actually more just proper to Jesus alone in my life, right? and that's a great question to have because I think we're absolutely prone to do what you talked about. It happened in Acts, right? Which is to turn rightful leaders, shepherds, guides, sages in the faith that God indeed has clearly called all throughout Scripture, right? I and mean, this is, but we're tempted to turn them into gurus, mm-hmm. even idols in our life. And so I think that's just a good question to consider with the Lord. But I think so. I'm just agreeing with you, but I also think you're right in saying that. The solution isn't to kind of run to the other extreme and Mm -hmm. say, well, you know, just me and Jesus. Mm Yeah. Well, the problem with kind of just me and Jesus is actually Jesus has clearly said he has given you shepherds, teachers Mm -hmm. and right. And so there is a place in our life for guides, for teachers, for mentors, for sages in the faith who point us on in faithfulness to the way of Jesus. And uh, I think to your point, the risk in that is the risk in that, which is they like us still have sin and there may be real disappointment there in our lives. Right. Yeah. And that forces us to reckon with, well, what does that mean? What does it mean about my own heart, my own sin? What does that mean about my need for Jesus? I totally agree with you. I don't think that giving up on right. the value of those, actually those gifts in our life from the Lord, those teachers, yep. leaders those mentors who God has used. Yeah. And I know I'm sure is using your life and in my life and profoundly to point me to Jesus. Yeah. Right. I don't want to let go of that either.
0: Right. I agree. Yeah, and that's my encouragement to those who are walking through major hurt—the way that everyone has experienced through some type of leader. It stings a lot harder. It stings. I think it stings more when you're like, "I thought we were on the same team." You know, it would be like you know, on your football team, the running back running to the other, wanting to score for the other team. You're like, "Wait, wait, we were in this together," and so it's a deeper hurt. And so, but the encouragement is that we can take that risk and we can continue to lean in to the Father and to Jesus, Jamie. I'm beyond grateful for this conversation. And I know that it's going to help a lot of people as they journey through their own pains and their own problems. And I talked to Mike Cosper on the show here, and I've had a lot of people say that that show has actually brought up a lot of wounds they didn't even know were there. And so I'm grateful for the way that we can have this conversation to point people back to Jesus. I would love to know, you told me earlier what you're reading with your kids and Harry Potter and... Kill a Mockingbird. What are you yourself reading?
1: Oh, boy. Well, I'm a Wendell Berry fan. I don't know if you know Wendell Berry, but I'm reading Wendell Berry, reading some poems by Wendell Berry. Okay, yes. Just finished Marilyn Robinson's most recent book, Jack. And then, you know, of course, I have my normal stack of Jamin theology books. I'm leaning into this kind of tradition in the church on the seven deadly sins, which okay. has been an interesting study for me. So reading... Folks like John Cassian on The Seven Deadly Sins. But yeah, this is
0: so like, I feel like I'm just returning very like, a heretical right here, but have you seen the movie Seven?
1: Oh my goodness. I don't know if I have Grab those themes, right?
0: Disclosure. Everyone read Common Sense Media and see what you think (laughs) you should watch about it or not. Brad Pitt's in it and there are some, you know, some hard things, but it does. That's the whole premise of it, of these seven deadly sins. It's a dark film. It's a dark film. So if you're not into dark films, hard pass, but.
1: Okay. Well, fair warning, but we're... (laughs) So, you know, I'm I'm reading all over the place. And then, of course, in doing what most people do and still enjoying some good Netflix shows here and there. And, you know...
0: Which I heard. Yes. Friday Night Lights.
1: Yeah. My So we are like way behind the eight ball here, right? <laughs> like, I, I don't even know when Friday Night Lights came out. I, you know, a long time ago. We have some dear friends who for like a couple years have been like, this is their favorite show. If you're going to be our friends, you have to watch <laughs> the show. And it finally came on Netflix. So then we didn't have an excuse anymore, right? Yeah. It's un- You can stream it. So I have to admit, Jamie, I am like, my Kristen and I are like, we're watching more episodes than I thought we would in the first couple of weeks. And
0: so are you still in season one or how are you doing?
1: We're just starting season two. Okay, is, I got to admit, it's pretty high drama. I mean, it's like high <laughs> drama, right? It's like, it's like, but I have to ask you, I feel like I'm getting an accurate window into like Texas small town <laughs> football. You're
0: getting a very accurate window. Yes. Okay. yes.
1: I'm like, I don't know if this is like the Southern California guy thinking he's figuring it out or if it really is, but it feels like I'm getting a good picture. And I'm enjoying that. I'm like, oh, this is the world of the Ivies. This, this is-, is
0: the world we live in. Except I would like to say, I hope that that the sex of the, the binge drinking is not actually accurate <laughs> for the Ivies, but it is for Friday night lights with these high school kids. In fact, one of our dogs is named Landry because Landry is one of our favorite characters from that whole show. Oh, I'm and with- you will just you will fall more in love with that character throughout the next couple of seasons. I
1: do like Landry and I like and this is terrible. I'm forgetting her name, but I like the coach's wife. I feel like she
0: <laughs> Tammy she,
1: Taylor. Tammy. She's the pillar, man. She's the she's the sturdy one. She's she brings the wisdom.
0: You know, I like her a lot. Listen, everyone wants to be Tammy Taylor. Her real name is Connie Britton. She is not just Tammy Taylor, but we love the Taylors as well. So <laughs> I love that you're watching this. It was actually some of it was filmed at the high school in the old neighborhood that we used to live in. So I was actually there one time and they were filming on set. This was years and years ago, obviously. So no kidding. Yeah. Wow. Welcome to Friday Night Lights.
1: In Texas and my San Diego, you know, Netflix streaming life.
0: I love it. I love it. Uh, Jamin, thank you so much.
1: Uh, an honor to be with you. Thanks for having
0: me. You guys, I know that you love that conversation. I loved it. From the minute I had it until now, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear it today. I do want to say this. I was sitting in church just this past Sunday, and my church, the Austin Stone Community Church, was finishing up their series called Reviving Love. And I was at the West congregation and our pastor Ross Lester was preaching. And the conversation kept making me think about this conversation I had with Jamin. And I know that so many of you guys have been hurt by the church. And we talked about the podcast that Christianity Today is doing on Mars Hill. And it's brought up a lot of emotions for you guys. You guys told me that after we had Mike Cosper on the show about how it was difficult to listen to that show in some points. And I just want to remind you of the hope that the church brings and the hope that all of us as people in our individual churches and in the larger church, how we get to be a part of the solution of loving people well. And my pastor this week talked about that. And so there's a link in the show notes to Ross Lester's sermon that he preached this Sunday about that. Guys, don't forget, we have a bunch of videos over on YouTube for you. Go to jamieivy.com slash YouTube to see all of the content that we have over there for you guys. Have a happy Friday. Thanks so much for listening to the Happy Hour Jamie Ivey Podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to bring to you, and every opportunity we get to point us all to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends. That is actually the number one way that people find out about our show, because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that make us think, make us laugh and point us to Jesus. Also, come find me on other places around the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm at Jamie Ivy, And we've been having some fun posting videos on YouTube as well. Sometimes, you wish you could see the person I'm interviewing? Well, come over and find us there, and you can. JamieIvy.com slash YouTube. The Happy Hour is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell. Graphics by Rachel Ray. The show is edited by the team at Podshaper. And I'm your host, Jamie, and I love every single week that I get to be here with you guys. Until next time, have a happy hour with a friend.